Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering their mission to strengthen Catholic schools. Booster is a one-stop shop for all your fundraising needs, offering a wide range of services from fitness fundraisers to product sales, custom gear, and more. Visit ChooseBooster.com to find out how you can make Booster your fundraising partner this school year. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and today we'll be talking with Steve and Jackie Green of the Hobby Lobby stores and co-founders of Museum of the Bible. Steve Green became president of Hobby Lobby in 2004 and has helped grow the family business to more than 1,000 stores in 48 states, employing over 45,000 people company-wide with $7.7 billion in annual sales in 2022. Hobby Lobby, of course, began operation on August 3rd of 1972 with a 600-square-foot retail space located in North Oklahoma City and it was started by his father, David. Stephen took on a number of roles over the years in the business as it grew into a, the large corporation it is today. He is also co-founder and chairman of the board of Museum of the Bible, which opened its doors in November of 2017 in Washington, D.C., three blocks from the U.S. Capitol. Steve has also added two other titles to his uh, biography, and that is he's a speaker and author and uh, he penned the books Faith in America in 2011, Bible in America in 2013, which explored the history and impact of the Bible in today's world. Most recently, he wrote this, uh, a book entitled This Beautiful Book in 2020, which shows how books and stories of the Bible come together to tell one overarching story. Now, Jackie Green wears many hats as she balances her writing, speaking, and organizing of events for women, along with being a wife, mother to six children, and Gigi to eight grandchildren. And she is the co-founder of the Museum of the Bible and has served on the boards of several organizations. She's also the founder of Women of Legacy, an effort to help women discover and leave an eternal legacy. She's co-authored two books. Uh, one entitled This Dangerous Book with her husband in 2017, and Only One Life uh, that also has an accompanying Bible study guide. And she wrote that with her daughter, Lauren Green McAfee, in 2018. 
And she and her husband, in just a couple of days, will be celebrating their 39th wedding anniversary. Steve and Jackie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Look forward to being with you. Well, it's really great to have you uh, on Follow to Lead. And one of the things we love to do is to give our guests just a short opportunity to tell a little bit about your background and upbringing. And so, uh, Steve and Jackie, both of you would just kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves. So I uh, grew up in a Christian home. I was born here in Oklahoma City, which is where our home is, and uh, lived uh, lived here all my life. Um, I uh, graduated high school. I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the business uh, that uh, I had worked through at high school, me and my brother. And um, so I graduated high school, started working for my dad, as I say, and my Title has changed over the years. I still work for dad. He's still very active in the business and uh, comes in every day. But um, uh, been uh, uh, working for Hobby Lobby all those years. Uh, Museum of the Bible was an interesting detour that uh, God took us on uh, a few years back. And that has been quite an enjoyable experience, but uh, um, uh, one that we weren't expecting on being on, but one that we have uh, enjoyed and love the the trip that we've been on so far. Yeah, and that tells a lot of my story too. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Steve and I, uh, as he mentioned, uh, we've been married almost 39 years and we have six children. And so um, Steve and I met in church camp as young teens and kind of a fun fact, I worked at a Hobby Lobby store as a teenager as soon as I turned 16 and could do that part time uh, when I was in high school and, and was working there when Steve and I started dating my senior year of high school. So uh, it was kind of a, a fun little part of our story. But uh, we have the six children, four of them are married. So we have one that just graduated from college this year and our youngest just started her senior year of high school so i'm still in the midst of parenting and uh, being in, very involved in their lives as well as now we have eight grandchildren so mm -hmm. uh, that, that brings us great joy um as steve mentioned we did not foresee that we would be a part of putting in a museum of, for the bible uh, in our lives and um, we were very busy with a retail business and a, a growing large family and our involvement in, in things in our community and our local church. So uh, God took us on a journey that we did not foresee, but it's been our great joy and delight to be able to be a part of that. Well, you know, Hobby Lobby is, I know it's a standard go-to for my family, and I know for many families here in America. And one of the things that I've always admired about you all and what you did with Hobby Lobby is the work ethic uh, that you've established. Can you share a little bit about that? Is that something that has been kind of in the, the DNA of Hobby Lobby from the beginning with your dad? Yeah, you know, dad grew up in uh, uh, a family that his his father was a pastor himself. He didn't, uh, they didn't have a lot of money, but uh, in high school, he started uh, working in retail. He uh, loved retail, took to it very well, and was by nature just a hard worker, was very organized. It served him well. And he, he taught us the same that, uh, you know, you, you needed to work hard. It was part of uh, what what was a part of life that we're called to uh, support our families. And uh, he just uh, set a great example for our family and uh, uh, taught us to, to do the same. 
And so even till today, I mean, Hobby Lobby is closed on Sundays. Uh, that, of course, is day of worship, a day of rest. And uh, so is that that whole idea of uh, work and faith in your family is something that kind of uh, you're, again, now passing on to your uh, to your kids, Jackie? Is that a part of one of the things that you're hoping to do? I know that uh, legacy is a very important word to you. Yes, it is. And I do believe that we lead through example to pass on our values and, and our, our work ethic and our uh, beliefs to our children and our grandchildren. And so that's something that um, is, is very important to us. And I, I feel like that back to the work ethic, you know, it's a scriptural concept to whatever you do, do it with all your might. And so we've tried to pass that along to our children and grandchildren that are now our our oldest grandchild is almost 14. So wow. Okay. Our youngest is two or uh, three months old now, three, three months, little baby. So, um, so we're very immersed in trying to, you know, pass on what we value to our children and grandchildren. That's, that's outstanding. And I know, uh, I can't remember where I heard it first or who it's attributed to, but they said, uh, somebody said one time that uh, being a grandparent is so wonderful that I wish I'd have done it first. <laughs> yes, uh, I agree. <laughs> it is great. So in 2010, the Museum of the Bible Incorporated was formed. And even in that early stages, I mean, that was seven years prior to opening the doors you already knew of four distinct goals that you call the four pillars that you wanted to be involved uh, in a museum concept, and that would be education, uh, the museum itself, research, and traveling exhibits. How did this all come to being? What's the genesis? Uh, if I can put in a plug for the Bible, what's the genesis of uh, the museum? Yeah, you know, it really uh, developed over a period of time. We originally, it was not something that we were planning on doing. It wasn't a foreign concept. My brother opened a Christian bookstore and he had mentioned a time or two throughout the years, it'd be neat to put in a Bible museum. Um, so it wasn't a foreign concept, but a group of guys wanted to put a Bible museum in Dallas and they asked if we would help them, you know, maybe find a facility for a museum mm -hmm. and uh, nothing developed. But then they mentioned an artifact that we could buy at a real good deal. And I said, well, we can buy that for your museum project. Um, and we didn't acquire that, but it opened the door. They started asking around. They knew where the collectors, the dealers, the auction houses were. So we started acquiring for, at that time, for their museum project until we acquired a, a collection of a 10,000 piece collection. A gentleman that had been collecting for 30 years sold us his whole collection. And uh, at that point, the family just felt like maybe we needed to be sure the dream became a reality. Uh, we had the resources to get a museum started and we had a growing collection. So somewhat by default, it became our project. And Jackie and I were the ones that were leading the effort for the family uh, in putting the museum in. So uh, I, I kind of lovingly say God tricked us into it. It's not something we were <laughs> planning on doing, but uh, uh, he led us into the museum project. And while we were in the process of looking for a museum before we knew uh, when or where a museum would be open, that's when our temporary exhibits uh, developed. I thought, well, we got this collection, but it's sitting in our closet, not doing any good. Um, so we decided to open temporary exhibits. And we had one here in the U.S. that rotated to six different cities. 
uh, it opened the door for us to do an international exhibit. So our first one was at the Vatican in 2012. And they asked us to come back the next year. And we said, we need a breather. How about the, the following year? So we went back in 2014 with another exhibit at the Vatican. Um, that opened the door for us to do an exhibit in Cuba. We uh, wow. exhibited the National Cathedral in Havana, Cuba in 2014. And they wanted us to come back. So we did one again in 2016. So um, uh, these were just opportunities that were presenting themselves as we were looking for the museum and uh, it was exciting times. And then as the museum facility was uh, acquired, our focus was there and uh, uh, the energies to open up the museum that we did, we opened in 2017. So that was the traveling exhibits research. There's just always ongoing research on the Bible and we love to be a part of uh, confirming scripture uh, and there's mm-hmm. there's more to be done and and so we love that and then education is a way for the museum to reach out to those that might never make it to the museum mm-hmm. so, so if there's ways to develop and there's a, still a lot of opportunities to develop further uh, educational efforts and uh, uh, so that's that's something that we are pursuing as well uh, so the educational efforts the temporary exhibits research and obviously the museum became the four pillars Mm-hmm. It's interesting that uh, thinking about uh, just the term museum of the Bible, there are people who may have heard about it without really knowing anything about it and may assume that, oh, this is a nice place for some Bible trivia or maybe some old Bibles and things like that. But really, this is a place of very serious and important scholarship and research. And I would imagine finding the right personnel had had to be a daunting task. Uh, tell us a little bit about your leadership that you have there uh, at the museum and and also your staff. Well, I'll start with our, our CEO, Harry Hargrave, is the one that was uh, engaged to actually find a location for us. He was in, involved in doing a site selection. At the time, we were looking in three different cities, uh, Dallas, Washington, D.C., and New York City, uh, and he was engaged to, to find the right location. Today, he is our CEO running the operation on a day-to-day basis. And as we learned at Hobby Lobby, uh, we're only as good as our people. And uh, we are uh, looking for good people. We have a lot of good people. And, uh, you know, it starts with good leadership. And uh, we're excited that Harry has been there to uh, help maneuver us. As I, as I said in many cases, we're somewhat a rookie uh, in in the museum business. We've only been open since 2017. Uh, I remember going to the Air and Space Museum when I was in high school. Um, and they've been around, the Smithsonian's have been around for many, many years. Um, and so we're kind of a one of the newer kids on the block. And there's a lot for us to learn and mm-hmm. figure out. And uh, having uh, good people is uh, the, the place to start with it but there's still a lot of learning that we have to do. Now, the uh, actual building in Washington, D.C., you're only about three blocks uh, from the Capitol, and I, I know it's a, a huge facility. Uh, what is six floors, I think, uh, for open exhibits, and I don't know what might be behind the scenes. But what, uh, what would people encounter in coming to the museum there in Washington? Yeah, I'll start. And, um, you know, just from a family perspective, I would say, you know, it's something that 
um, provides some uh, fun thing to do for all ages, right? Uh, anything that um, a family wants to do around learning more about the Bible is there. We even have a fly-through ride that they can go on that, that's called Washington Revelations. And it takes you where you feel like you're flying through this through DC, where you see where scripture is engraved on different monuments throughout. Um, so we have that. We have a children's area where younger children, you can take them in and they can pretend that they're uh, throwing balls into the lion's mouth like Daniel and the lion's den. And, and uh, there are all kinds of fun things in there. there um, there's also uh, a restaurant, which is important for a family uh, where you can stop and get lunch at the Mana Cafe, the coffee shop. And then um, we have other special exhibits that are always going on. We've had recently in the World Stage Theater, The Horse and His Boy, one of the C.S. Lewis uh, live productions. Oh, sure. And uh, so different ones will come through. Um, that one just ended and we have another one coming soon. So um, those are some fun, particularly for families, but we also have the history floor, the impact impact floor, the narrative floor. We have the theaters for the drive-through history mm -hmm. uh, and the New Testament theater, the Nazareth village where you you feel like you're walking into Nazareth as as Jesus would have known. And uh, there's the Hebrew walkthrough, which is really popular and has received some awards. Um, it's about a 30-minute walkthrough that just really takes you creatively through the Old Testament. Um, what else? What am I missing? Well, I, I just say you you talk about, I, I can remember, I, I didn't necessarily have a vision for a museum. What what was a museum when we were first asked to help? And I was asking these guys, what, what do you envision? Because if I put a Bible in a language that I can't even read under a glass case, it's only going to grab my attention for a certain amount at a time. And yet right. we have a book that we're celebrating that has the most incredible story of any book ever. And so what we had to do is we had to find engaging ways to tell the Bible story. And that's what created the museum that we have today. We engaged leading design firms from across the country to help build the museum. Uh, design firms that have built for Disney, those that have put presidential libraries in that were able to tell the Bible story in a creative way in all the ways that Jackie illuminated from a Disney-esque ride to feel like you're walking into Nazareth to theaters. Um, so what a person will see is not your typical museum. There's a floor that is somewhat museum-esque. You're going to see some Bibles in glass cases, uh, but we have done a uh, work hard to try to make the Bibles come alive because this is an incredible book, an incredible story, and, and we are passionate about it, and we want to invite all people to engage with it, which is the purpose of the Museum of the Bible, is to invite people to engage with the Bible, and we wanted to do that in an engaging way, and, and why we engaged the leading design firms to help us build the museum. One of the things that was intriguing to me is that you didn't stop when the New Testament was finished, but you kept on going through history dealing with like how the Bible impacted the med medieval period and up into more contemporary periods. And, and so it's, it's not, it's about the Bible, but it's also about the impact that the Bible has made on civilization. Would that be fair? Yeah. And one of the floors is the impact of the Bible, the impact. And so we have a large section on the Bible's impact on America. 
And then we have the Bible's impact in all other areas of life. And so whether it be government or science or education, literature, music, in, in all areas of life, the Bible has had an impact and we show that. And then on our history floor, we're just kind of walking through history, looking at the oldest evidence of the Bible, uh, archaeological evidence, moving into the manuscript evidence, the Middle Ages, moving into the print and digital age. And on that floor, we're also looking into the future. We are looking at the effort called Illuminations to finalize the translation of the Bible into every language of the world. And uh, there's 11 different organizations that are in that space that come together to raise funds and to strategize how to get that job done. And today, their goal is to have that job done by the year 2033, which is an incredible thought, something that could happen in our lifetime uh, if if they are able to meet the goal. Mm-hmm. It's never happened in the history of the world. There's not even a close second. But to have a book in every language is an incredible task, a daunting task, but that's what they're striving to do. And so on the history floor, we're looking at the oldest evidence, but we're also looking into the future as well um, of, of trying to get the Bible, everybody God's word. It's interesting. One of my uh, best friends in seminary uh, ended up working uh, in Bible translation, and his entire life was spent in one of the southern islands of the Philippines uh, to translate the Bible into a native language. And they first had to take that language and be able to write it down symbolically. And then they had to make uh, a language that you could read, and then they could translate the Bible. And again, it's such a daunting task when you think here is uh, one couple that dedicated about 30-some years and probably got maybe a few books of the Bible translated. What a daunting task. Yeah, and that is common uh, for a translator to spend 20, 30 years on the mission field. And as you said, if they don't even have a written form of language, they've got to learn their language, create a written form of their language, teach them to read their language and translate scripture into that language. It, it It's a daunting task. And so in order for them to finish this job, there's going to have to be some new technology developed. They're looking at AI as a possibility, sure. uh, augmented intel- or artificial intelligence. So there's, um, again, God will have to show up for them to be able to get the job done. But that's what they're striving to do, praying that uh, they'll be able to do. Now, at your uh, museum in Washington, D.C., I'm assuming you have some different on-site programs for schools that you offer there. We do. There's, uh, for example, we have a temporary exhibit right now called Scripture in Science, talking about the Bible's impact on uh, Scripture. And there's a section uh, in in the floor where uh, kids can come in and and do uh, different projects and and fun activities. Uh, And and throughout the the week, at different times, they'll have programs for school kids as they come in. um, And uh, there's there's always something uh, for the kids to do. So, yeah. Is there something more, Jackie, you wanted to put yeah. in there? They can offer group tours for schools oh. and uh, uh-huh. you know work with them on that. One of the the Vatican space has a special exhibit right now, the Journey of Faith, Seven Pilgrim Churches of Rome. Uh, we also have uh, the Israeli Antiquity Authority space that has a permanent exhibit there, mm-hmm. as well as um, Steve mentioned the Scripture and Science 
exhibit that's great for students until January. And then Elizabeth Elliott, uh, the story of sure. uh, Through Gates of Splendor, that's there until January as well. So often we have these special exhibits that will come and go. So it keeps things fresh and new for student groups that might be coming through or anybody that's coming through. And you can always get the, the updates on the website. Now, as you all know, uh, this program is mostly uh, watched or listened to by uh, educators, by administrators, teachers, it's, and the like. And I know there's a virtual K-12 through educational program as well. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, I know online there are a lot of opportunities for people to go. There's, there's a floor that can be uh, seen virtually on the website, and there's always ongoing work that we're doing to try to add to uh, the information that we have and that we are developing. As we do research on items within the collection, you can go online and see uh, uh, information about items within the collection that's, that uh, is being displayed on the floor. Um, so uh, we try to have um, and continue to build the information that we are learning from the collection uh, on the museum. Same thing with our archaeological digs that we're involved in. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to do further research, as, as we mentioned. The opportunities are unlimited, and we are excited about being a part of those and then sharing some of that information through the website. And so can uh, schools actually uh, contact the museum about setting up a, like a class uh, experience online with you directly? I don't know that we have a class experience online. We obviously have class experience that can be developed in the museum. And then we have curriculum that has been developed more for about a ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth grade level mm -hmm. that okay. really kind of goes through the Bible's history, its impact, and its narrative. The same three ways that we look at the Bible at the museum, uh, a curriculum that has been developed for that age uh, uh, range. And there is further opportunities to develop that for other age uh, ranges as well. I was thinking as an educator, I might be interested in setting up a group tour. Um, and one thing that we love about the museum is you can come in on the subway and you don't even have to cross the street. So think about managing a group of students. That makes it very easy. And then we have the Mana Cafe. They can get lunch, you know, it, and uh, it, it's really a such a large space. It's 430,000 square feet. So mm -hmm. uh, it, you can have students all over the museum. We love it when they have a lot of students going yeah, we're, floor we're, to floor. It's great. Yeah, when we're there, we regularly run into school groups. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, so there's a lot of, lot of educational opportunities. Of course, we look at the Bible in those three ways, history and impact and narrative, partly because the Bible is primarily attacked in two ways. Is it true and is it good? The history floor is a discussion of, of, is this book true? And the impact is really a discussion, is it good? And I can argue that it is true, though the mm -hmm. museum's role is not to state that we're here just to present the facts and let the visitor decide for themselves. But when a teacher understands that the evidence for the validity of scripture is throughout the history floor and the, and the impact of this book has had on our world, on our impact floor, as they are teaching in that way and why our curriculum is built that way, then as they come into the museum, it really can kind of put the nail on the head of showing the actual evidence for how that this book has been good and 
and the truth of this book. So uh, it's built to really enhance and help uh, the educator that wants to uh, instill and teach a love for God's word uh, in the school and then come on, especially on a field trip, you know, many schools come to D.C., and for them to come to the museum and see the actual evidence for Scripture. And just to hitchhike on what Jackie said, having lived in the Washington metro area for a long time, uh, being close to the metro was gold. Because uh, trying to navigate the streets of Washington with buses is not for the faint of heart. And being able to just hit the metro outside of the city and come into town is a wonderful gift and be so close to that. Yeah, and I've, I'm told, as she indicated, um, it's the only museum that you can get to from the metro without having to cross the street because the metro comes up on one end of the block and the other end is the entrance to the museum. Uh, the Federal Center Southwest Metro stop is where we're at, which is just two blocks south of the Air and Space Museum as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, good, good location there in D.C. A wonderful location. Now, the other thing is, again, you've got online possibilities for... Uh, classes that are in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. But you've also got kind of got the idea of museum from home, which is that anyone that really now has a computer can really visit the museum and can get a great deal out of it. And one of my favorite things I've been doing the last few weeks is I've been spending time with your lonesome curators. And uh, this was a uh, really genius idea back during COVID when you had the curators taking people on a virtual uh, tour through a little section of the museum. And now that's been kind of uh, transferred into one called The Bible is So with wonderful themes. So really home families, uh, home schools, uh, just uh, anyone from anywhere can really take advantage of a great deal of content. Uh, tell us a little bit about your um passion for getting this word out to everybody, especially using media? Well, I've, I've said that uh, millions will come to the museum, but many more millions will never make it there. So how can we take uh, the story of the museum, the story of the Bible to people? And there's obviously lots of ways of doing that. And the museum's specific message of its history and its impact and its narrative is, is the opportunity for us to do take those messages out. So the curriculum is one, as we've discussed, but as you mentioned, media is another one. And uh, like you said, with uh, COVID kind of shutting the museum down, D.C. was shut down quite a bit for quite a while. I think four or five months we were closed uh, because the city uh, required that. And um, it gave an opportunity for us to think creatively. You know, how, how can we take this time and uh, use it as best we can and the curators did a great job with, uh, you know, the programming that you can go to the website and see those uh, short clips of items within the collection and uh, be educated uh, about uh, items. Uh, so uh, there is ongoing opportunity for us to continue to do that. We also, in the middle of COVID, had a uh, musical program. Uh, one of our board members was connected with uh, a lot of the uh, people in the Christian music industry. So we had Matthew West in the museum narrating with uh, different Christian artists uh, singing. And, and it made me think, you know, we really ought to do something at Christmas and Easter. So 
we have been working on the Christmas and Easter program. We had a history of Easter program that came out uh, two years ago, I guess now. And at Christmas time, we had a uh, for King and Country uh, program that's mm-hmm. uh, called Silent Night at Museum of the Bible. Uh, this year we had, or for this year, it hasn't aired yet, is a program about Malta. One of the exhibits we had in the museum were the 10 finalists of the crib contest that Malta does every year. And we had the 10 uh, finalists in there. And this was in the year 2000 when the kind of when the museum had to shut down 2020. Yeah, thank you. When the museum was shut down because of COVID or uh, not very many visitors at the time. Um, But I said there, well, there's a story to be told there. I want to know more about this uh, crib contest in Malta. So we have a documentary that'll be coming out this year um, uh, on, on Malta. And um, so the media efforts like that are ongoing efforts for us. And then some of them are not even our efforts. We had uh, our curator that uh, had Jordan Peterson in the museum and Jordan Peterson produced his own hour long program uh, with one of our curators uh, who is Uh, just kind of an intriguing discussion uh, with Brian Highland and a couple of others with uh, Jordan Peterson. So there are opportunities for us to take the message of the museum to the people and media is one of those. And there's a variety of ways of doing that. And your research pillar is one that you kind of touched on with academic research, but also some collaborative efforts in things such as archaeology. Are there any ongoing projects right now that uh, are pretty intriguing to talk about? Well, we just got back from Israel. You know, tell me about our two digs. Okay, well, there there are two different digs that Museum of the Bible has helped sponsor. Uh, one is called El Araj, which is the real site of Bethsaida. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a mosaic of a floor of a church that had been built that claims to be built on Peter's home. Peter and Andrew and Philip were all from Bethsaida. Right. And there's a town that is claiming to be Bethsaida, but this pretty much confirmed that the site that's really on the seashore, which is a fishing fishing village, is the real site of Bethsaida. And there's ongoing discovery being done at that site. So we were able to visit that site, do some digging ourselves, the other one is called Tel Shimron, a large archaeological site just west of Nazareth in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, Daniel Masters at Wheaton is leading that excavation. Uh, that one will take many years to completely uncover. It made some news recently because of a archway uh, construction that was discovered that was very unique. Uh, and that's why it made some news. So. Uh, the site may not be as biblical as Bethsaida, which is very biblical, but it will tell us a lot about the time periods, multiple time periods of this site. Uh, so it's, you know, I believe that this, the Bible is exactly what it claims to be. I believe it's God's word. If it's not, I want to know about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just say, let's dig away. Uh, I'm not too concerned uh, because I'm convinced what we will find is the evidence for the book for the Bible will continue to be validated through, by the evidence. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I believe God protected until he was ready for them to be discovered. And I wonder what he has left for us out there to be discovered, because uh, the more the more we dig, the more evidence uh, for the, the Bible 
And one archaeologist said that a very small percent of what could be dug up has been dug up. And it was like less than 10%. So wow, there's a lot of opportunity. And that's why I'm excited about being a part of archaeology, which is a research area uh, and just one of several opportunities. We're, you know, we're, we're helping with a, a scanning project at uh, uh, St. Catherine's Monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. There's another scanning project in Jerusalem that we're discussing. So uh, we have a large Torah scroll collection and we're engaging rabbis to do research on the Torah scrolls. So a lot of opportunities to, con- to, to continue to research um, and validate the evidence for the Bible that uh, I, I believe the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, and we just want to add to that evidence. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't remember how many years ago they discovered the Ebla tablets. And there, it was the first time that the name Sodom and Gomorrah actually showed up, and it showed up on a traveling salesman itinerary. And so, again, every time something is uncovered, again, it gives even more validity to uh, the beauty and truth that we find in, in Holy Scripture. So, and are the traveling exhibits still traveling around? That You said that was one of the early things you did. Right now, there's not. There are opportunities that we are looking at for some of the temporary exhibits that we have that could travel. Uh, right now, there's not one uh, that we have that is is traveling, but um, uh, continuing to look for opportunities. We had okay. a fabulous Shroud of Turin exhibit uh, last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, then the um, the one from England that. Uh, yeah, the uh, Magna Carta exhibit. Yeah. Oh, sure. So, uh, and then they were looking for places to go next. So sometimes that happens. We're just one of their stops along there. Yeah, we there is some discussion with the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit, and they're looking at traveling around, but that wouldn't be as much us. But uh, there, some of the temporary exhibits that we bring in, uh, there are opportunities for those to travel. Uh, right now, there's not one that's active. I just might remind that museumofthebible.org is a great resource because there are always things happening and changing out different exhibits. And um, for an educator, I think that could be very helpful. There are always things to learn around the Bible. And uh, we are hoping to be lifetime learners and hope everyone else will be encouraged to do so too. The mission of the Museum of the Bible is inviting all people to engage with the transformative power of the Bible. And we think that's a, a great mission to encourage everyone to come and be a part of being a lifetime learner. That's well said. Yeah, I, I found myself, even after uh, a lifetime of teaching and all of that with the scriptures, uh, just looking at all of the little facets that you have available on your website, it's just just amazing. And that's Museum of the Bible all spelled out, correct, Jackie? Yes, that's right. Okay. Okay. Well, one one last thing I wanted to ask you: How did you uh, come in contact with us at Duke and Alton Schools Collaborative? I think it happened at the Napa Institute. It did. We were invited to share at the Napa Institute. I've been there a couple of times and uh, made a lot of great connections. And that's where I connected with uh, some of the leadership of uh, uh, Duke and Alton, and is uh, excited about the opportunity to be a asset and serve the educators uh, in their love for scripture. And that's what I hope the Museum of the Bible is seen is that that we can be a resource for the educators uh, that want to deepen their students' faith 
Um, and uh, that, that's what we're there for, because uh, th- this book is a book for all. And as Jackie said, our purpose is to invite all people. Um, mm-hmm. And as churches and educators see that this is a way of serving their purpose of deepening the faith of those that they're serving, uh, that's what we want to be there for. And, and um, it, it it's a great opportunity and tool uh, uh, for all. And we're going to have in our show notes page some links to uh, information that um, we got from your office having to do with the educational mission of Museum of the Bible. And that'll be available along with a contact person's name and email address that can help teachers, educators of all kinds that might want to uh, engage more seriously with uh, with the curriculum, etc. And, you know, one of the things that's wonderful for us at Duke and Alton is next fall, well, actually in a couple of months now, uh, our uh, fall summit is going to be in Washington, D.C., and we're going to be hosting an exclusive tour of the museum with after-hours uh, admission, dinner, and programming for all of the uh, Catholic education professionals that are coming to the summit in the fall. So I know that we're all looking forward to that wonderful opportunity to uh, to come and to just feast on all the wonderful things that you have there. Well, and, and that's one of the things that we love is we love seeing all kinds of organizations coming, using the museum. We have facilities for different sized groups. Uh, I was excited on the uh, the March for Life earlier this year. There is a David Network group of 400 Ivy League students that came into the museum and held an event there. So uh, there, there's uh, some space there. We encourage people to, to look into it. And if you're going to bring a group to, to D.C., uh, uh, look, look us up and maybe we can help uh, facilitate some meeting space. Well, Steve and Jackie Green, I want to thank you both for being with me today on Follow to Lead. This has been absolutely wonderful. And uh, I hope that it might fuel some interest in some people on their vacations to make sure to make time for Museum of the Bible there in Washington, D.C. for one of their stops. I know there's a lot of uh, great places to visit, but uh, just from all that I've seen and all that I know uh, about the museum, it has definitely got to be one of the high spots for people to visit. So, uh, I hope that they will uh, do just that. Again, thanks so much for being uh, with us. And uh, again, uh, if people want to uh, see more about what's going on, what again is the uh, the uh, internet address for that? It's uh, simply museumofthebible.org. And uh, then get all kinds of information there. It's been a pleasure to be with you, Father Sly. We uh, enjoyed our time and uh, appreciate you having us. Oh, this has been delightful. And uh, also, for those that would like more information about the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative or to know more about our fall summit, you may visit our website at diaschools.org. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe and say uh, to follow our podcast and uh, leave a comment to encourage us toward future programs. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. 
To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.